Third Marking Period, Part 1 Death of the Wombat The Wombat is dead. No assembly, no vote. Principal Principal made an announcement this morning. He said hornets better represent the Merriweather spirit than foreign marsupials. Plus, the Wombat mascot costume was going to suck money from the prom committee's budget. We are the hornets, and that is final. The seniors support this decision totally. They wouldn't be able to hold up their heads if the prom had to be moved from the Holiday Inn ballroom to the gym. That would be so elementary school. Our cheerleaders are working on annoying chants that end in lots of buzzing. I think this is a mistake. I have visions of opposing teams making enormous fly swatters and giant cans of insecticide out of paper mache to humiliate us during halftime programs. I'm allergic to hornets. One sting and my skin bubbles with hives and my throat closes up. Cold weather and buses. I missed the bus because I couldn't believe how dark it was when my alarm clock went off. I need a clock that will turn on a 300-watt bulb when it's time to get up. Either that or a rooster. When I realize how late it is, I decide not to rush. Why bother? Mom comes downstairs and I'm reading the funnies and eating oatmeal. Mom, you missed the bus again? I nod. Mom, you expect me to drive you again? Another nod. Mom, you'll need boots. It's a long walk, and it snowed again last night. I'm already late. That is unexpected, but not harsh. The walk isn't that bad. It's not like she made me hike ten miles through a snowstorm uphill in both directions or anything. The streets are quiet and pretty. The snow covers yesterday's slush and settles on the rooftops like powdered sugar on a gingerbread town. By the time I get to Fayette's, the town bakery, I'm hungry again. Fayette's makes wicked good jelly donuts, and I have lunch money in my pocket. I decide to buy two donuts and call it brunch. I cross the parking lot, and it comes out the door. Andy Evans with a raspberry-dripping jelly donut in one hand and a cup of coffee in the other. I stop on a frozen puddle. Maybe he won't notice me if I stand still. That's how rabbits survive. They freeze in the presence of predators. He sets the coffee on top of his car and fumbles in his pocket for the keys. Very, very adult, this coffee car keys cut school guy. He drops the keys and swears. He isn't going to notice me. I'm not here. He can't see me standing here in my purple marshmallow jacket. But of course, my luck with this guy sucks. So he turns his head and sees me. And wolf smiles, showing, oh granny, what big teeth you have. He steps toward me, holding out the donut. Want a bite? He asks. Bunny rabbit bolts leaving fast tracks in the snow. Get away, get away, get away. Why didn't I run like this before when I was a one-piece talking girl? Running makes me feel like I'm 11 years old and fast. I burn a strip up the sidewalk, melting snow and ice three feet on either side. When I stop, a brand new thought explodes in my head. Why go to school? Escape. The first hour of blowing off school is great. No one to tell me what to do, what to read, what to say. It's like living in an MTV video, not with the stupid costumes, but wearing that butt-strutting, I-do-what-I-want attitude. I wander down Main Street, beauty parlor, 7-Eleven, bank, card store. The rotating bank sign says it's 22 degrees. I wander up the other side, appliance store, hardware store, parking lot, grocery store. My insides are cold from breathing in frozen air. I can feel the hairs in my nose crackle. My strut slows to a foot-dragging schlump. I even think about trudging uphill to school. At least it's heated. I bet kids in Arizona enjoy playing hooky more than kids trapped in central New York. No slush, no yellow snow. 
I'm saved by a Centro bus. It coughs and rumbles and spits out two old women in front of the grocery store. I climb on. Destination, the mall. You never think about the mall being closed. It's always supposed to be there, like milk in the refrigerator or God. But it is just opening when I get off the bus. Store managers juggle key rings and extra-large coffees. Then the cage gates fly up in the air. Lights wink on, the fountains jump, music plays behind the giant ferns, and the mall is open. White-haired grandmas and grandpops power walk squeak-squeak, going so fast they don't even look at the window displays. I hunt spring fashions. Nothing that fit last year fits now. How can I shop with mom if I don't want to talk to her? She might love it, no arguing that way. But then I'd have to wear the clothes that she picked out. Conundrum. A three-point vocab word. I sit by the central elevator, where they set up Santa's workshop after Halloween. The air smells like french fries and food cleaner. The sun through the skylight is summer hot, and I shed layers. Jacket, hat, mittens, sweater. I lose seven pounds in half a minute. Feel like I could float up alongside the elevator. Tiny brown birds sing above me. No one knows how they got in, but they live in the mall and sing pretty. I lie on the bench and watch the birds weave through the warm air until the sun burns so bright I'm afraid it'll make holes in my eyeballs. I should probably tell someone. Just tell someone. Get it over with. Let it out. Blurt it out. I want to be in fifth grade again. Now that is a deep, dark secret, almost as big as the other one. Fifth grade was easy. Old enough to play outside without mom. Too young to go off the block. The perfect leash length. A rent-a-cop strolls by. He studies the wax women in the Sears window, then strolls back the other way. He doesn't even bother with a fake smile or an, are you lost? I'm not in fifth grade. He starts back for a third pass, his finger on his radio. Will he turn me in? Time to find that bus stop. I spend the rest of the day waiting for it to be 2.48, so it's not all that different from school. I figure I learned a good lesson and set my alarm clock early for the next day. I wake up on time for four days in a row, get on the bus four days in a row, ride home after school. I want to scream. I think I'll need to take a day off every once in a while. Code breaking. Hair woman has been buying new earrings. One pair hangs all the way down to her shoulders. Another has bells in them like the pair that Heather gave me at Christmas. I guess I can't wear mine anymore. There should be a law. It's Nathaniel Hawthorne month in English. Poor Nathaniel. Does he know what they've done to him? We're reading the scarlet letter, one sentence at a time, tearing it up, chewing on its bones. It's all about symbolism, says Hair Woman. Every word chosen by Nathaniel, every comma, every paragraph break. These were all done on purpose. To get a decent grade in her class, we have to figure out what he was really trying to say. Why couldn't he just say what he meant? Would they pin scarlet letters on his chest? B for blunt, S for straightforward. I can't whine too much. Some of it's fun. It's like a code, breaking into his head and finding the key to his secrets. Like the whole guilt thing. Of course you know the minister feels guilty and Hester feels guilty, but Nathaniel wants us to know this is a big deal. If he kept repeating, she felt guilty, she felt guilty, she felt guilty, it would be a boring book and no one would buy it. So he planted symbols like the weather and the whole light and dark thing to show us how poor Hester feels. I wonder if Hester tried to say no. She's kind of quiet. We would get along. 
I can see us, living in the woods, her wearing that A, me with an S maybe, S for silent, for stupid, for scared, S for silly, for shame. So the code-breaking part was fun for the first lesson, but a little of it goes a long way. Hair woman is hammering it to death. Hair woman, the description of the house with bits of glass embedded in the walls. What does it mean? Utter silence from the class. A fly left over from fall buzzes against the cold window. A locker slams in the hall. Hair woman answers her own question. Think of what that would look like, a wall with glass embedded in it. It would reflect? Sparkle? Shine on sunny days, maybe? Come on, people. I shouldn't have to do this by myself. Glass in the wall. We use that on top of prison walls nowadays. Hawthorne is showing us that the house is a prison. Or a dangerous place, maybe. It's hurtful. Now, I ask you to find some examples of the use of color. Who can list a few pages where color is described? The fly buzzes a farewell buzz and dies. Rachel slash Rochelle, my ex-best friend. Who cares what the color means? How do you know what he meant to say? I mean, did he leave another book called Symbolism in My Books? If he didn't, then you could just be making all of this up. Does anyone really think this guy sat down and stuck all kinds of hidden meanings into his story? It's just a story. Hair woman. This is Hawthorne, one of the greatest American novelists. He didn't do anything by accident. He was a genius. Rachel slash Rochelle. I thought we were supposed to have opinions here. My opinion is that it's kind of hard to read, but the part about how Hester gets in trouble and the preacher guy almost gets away with it, well, that's a good story. But I think you are making all this symbolism stuff up. I don't believe any of it. Hair woman. Do you tell your math teacher you don't believe that 3 times 4 equals 12? Well, Hawthorne's symbolism is just like multiplication. Once you figure it out, it's as clear as day. The bell rings. Hair woman blocks the door to give out our assignment, a 500-word essay on symbolism, how to find hidden meanings in Hawthorne. The whole class yells at Rachel slash Rochelle in the hall. That's what you get for speaking up. Stunted. Mr. Freeman has found a way around the authorities again. He painted the names of all his students on one wall of the classroom that made a column for each week left of school. Each week he evaluates our progress and makes a note on the wall. He calls it a necessary compromise. Next to my name, he's painted a question mark. My tree is frozen. A kindergartner could carve a better tree. I've stopped counting the linoleum blocks I ruined. Mr. Freeman has reserved the rest of them for me. Good thing, too. I'm dying to try a different subject. Something easy like designing an entire city. Or copying the Mona Lisa. But he won't budge. He suggested I try a different medium, so I used purple finger paints. The paint cooled my hands, but did nothing for my tree. Trees. On a shelf I find a book of landscapes filled with illustrations of every stinking tree that grows. Sycamore, linden, aspen, willow, fir, tulip, poplar, chestnut, elm, spruce, pine. Their bark, flowers, limbs, needles, nuts. I feel like a regular forester, but I can't do what I'm supposed to do. The last time Mr. Freeman had anything good to say to me was when I made that stupid turkey bone thing. Mr. Freeman is having his own problems. He mostly sits on his stool and stares at a new canvas. It's painted one color, so blue it's almost black. No light comes out of it or goes in. No shadows without light. 
Ivy asks him what it is. Mr. Freeman snaps out of his funk and looks at her like he just realized the room was full of students. Mr. Freeman, it's Venice at night, the color of an accountant's soul, a love rejected. I grew mold on an orange this color when I lived in Boston. It's the blood of imbeciles, confusion, tenure, the inside of a lock, the taste of iron, despair, a city with the streetlights shot out, smoker's lung, the hair of a small girl who grows up hopeless, the heart of a school board director. He's warming up for a full-fledged rant when the bell rings. Some teachers rumor whisper he's having a breakdown. I think he's the sanest person I know. Lunch doom. Nothing good ever happens at lunch. The cafeteria is a giant soundstage where they film daily segments of teenage humiliation rituals. And I sit with Heather as usual. Gross. We are off by ourselves in a corner by the courtyard, not near the Marthas. Heather sits so her back as to the rest of the cafeteria. She can watch the wind shift the drifts of snow trapped in the courtyard behind me. I can feel the wind seep through the glass and penetrate my shirt. I'm not listening too closely as Heather ahems her way to what is on her mind. The noise of 400 mouths moving, consuming, pulls me away from her. The background pulsing of the dishwashers, the squeal of announcements that no one hears. It is a vespiary, the hornet haven. I am a small ant crouched by the entrance and the winter wind at my back. I smother my green beans with mashed potatoes. Heather nibbles through her jicama and whole grain roll and blows me off while she eats her baby carrots. Heather. This is really awkward. I mean, how do you say something like this? No matter what, no, I don't want to say that. I mean, We kind of paired up at the beginning of the year when I was new and didn't know anyone, and that was really, really sweet of you, but I think it's time for us both to admit that we just are very different. She studies her no-fat yogurt. I try to think of something bitchy, something wicked and cruel. I can't. Me. You mean we're not friends anymore? Heather. Smiling with her mouth, but not her eyes. We were never really, really friends, were we? I mean, it's not like I ever slept over at your house or anything. We like to do different things. I have my modeling, and I like to shop. Me. I like to shop. Heather. You don't like anything. You're the most depressed person I've ever met. And excuse me for saying this, but you are no fun to be around, and I think you need professional help. Up until this very instant... I had never seriously thought of Heather as my one true friend in the world. But now I am desperate to be her pal, her buddy. To giggle with her, to gossip with her. I want her to paint my toenails. Me. I was the only person who talked to you on the first day of school. Now you're blowing me off because I'm a little depressed? Isn't that what friends are for? To help each other out in bad times? Heather. I knew you would take this the wrong way. You are just so weird sometimes. I squint at the wall of hearts on the other side of the room. Lovers can spend $5 to get a red or pink heart with their initials on it, mounted on the wall for Valentine's Day. It looks so out of place, those red splotches on blue. The jocks, excuse me, the student-athletes sit in front of the hearts to judge the new romances. Poor Heather. There are no Hallmark cards for breaking up with friends. I know what she's thinking. She has a choice. She can hang out with me and get the reputation for being a creepy weirdo who might show up with a gun someday. Or she can be a Martha. 
one of the girls who get good grades, do nice things, and ski well. Which would I choose? Heather. When you get through this life sucks phase, I'm sure lots of people will want to be your friend. But you just can't cut classes or not show up to school. What's next? Hang out with the dopers? Me. Is this the part where you try to be nice to me? Heather. You have a reputation. Me. For what? Heather. Look, you can't eat lunch with me anymore. I'm sorry. Oh, and don't eat those potato chips. They'll make you break out. She neatly wraps her trash into a wax paper ball and deposits it in the garbage can. Then she walks to the Martha table. Her friends scooch down and make room for her. They swallow her whole, and she never looks back at me. Not once. Conjugate this. I cut class. You cut class. He, she, it cuts class. We cut class. They cut class. We all cut class. I cannot say this in Spanish because I did not go to Spanish today. Gracias a Dios. Hasta luego. Cutting out hearts. When we get off the bus on Valentine's Day, a girl with white blonde hair bursts into tears. I love you, Angela, is spray-painted into the snowbank along the parking lot. I don't know if Angela is crying because she is happy or because her heart's desire can't spell. Her honey is waiting with a red rose. They kiss right there in front of everybody. Happy Valentine's Day. It's caught me by surprise. Valentine's Day was a big hairy deal in elementary school because you had to give cards to everyone in your class, even the kid who made you step in dog poop. Then the class mom brought in pink frosted cupcakes and we traded those little candy hearts that said hot baby and be mine. The holiday went underground in middle school. No parties, no shoeboxes with red cutout hearts for your drugstore valentines. To tell someone you like them, you had to use layers and layers of friends. As in, Janet told me to tell you that Stephen told me that Dougie said Karam was talking to April, and she hinted that Sarah's brother Mark has a friend named Tony who might like you. What are you going to do? It's easier to floss with barbed wire than admit you like someone in middle school. I go with the flow toward my locker. We are all dressed in down jackets and vests, so we collide and roll like bumper cars at the state fair. I notice envelopes taped to some lockers, but don't really think about it until I find one on mine. It says, Melinda. It has to be a joke. Someone put it there to make me look stupid. I peer over my left shoulder, then my right, for groups of evil kids pointing at me. All I see are the backs of heads. What if it is real? What if it's from a boy? My heart stops, then stutters and pumps again. No, not Andy. His style's definitely not romantic. Maybe David Petrak is my lab partner. He watches me when he thinks I can't see him, afraid I'm going to break lab equipment or faint again. Sometimes he smiles at me, an anxious smile, the kind you use on a dog that might bite. All I have to do is open the envelope. I can't stand it. I walk past my locker and go straight to biology. Miss Keene decided it would be cute to review birds and bees in honor of Valentine's Day. Nothing practical, of course. No information about why hormones can make you crazy, or why your face only breaks out at the worst time, or how to tell if somebody really gave you a Valentine's card on your locker. No, she really teaches us about the birds and the bees. Notes of love and betrayal are passed hand over hand as if the lab tables were lanes on Cupid's Highway. Miss Keene draws a picture of an egg with a baby chick inside it. David Petrakis is fighting to stay awake. Does he like me? I make him nervous. He thinks I'm going to ruin his grade. But maybe I'm growing on him. Do I want him to like me? I chew my thumbnail. No. I just want anyone to like me. I want a note with a heart on it. 
I pull the edge of my thumbnail back too far and it bleeds. I squeeze my thumb so the blood gathers in a perfect sphere before it collapses and slides toward the palm of my hand. David hands me a tissue. I press it into the cut. The white cells of paper dissolve as the red floods them. It doesn't hurt. Nothing hurts except the small smiles and blushes that flash across the room like tiny sparrows. I open my notebook and write a note to David. Thanks. I slide the notebook over to him. He swallows hard, his Adam's apple bouncing to the bottom of his neck and back up again. He writes back, you are welcome. Now what? I squeeze the tissue harder on my thumb to concentrate. Miss Keene's baby bird hatches on the board. I draw a picture of Miss Keene as a robin. David smiles. He draws a branch under her feet and slides the notebook back to me. I try to connect the branch to a tree. It looks pretty good, better than anything I've drawn so far in art. The bell rings and David's hand brushes against mine as he picks up his books. I bolt from my seat. I'm afraid to look at him. What if he thinks I already opened his card and I hate his guts, which is why I didn't say anything? But I can't say anything because the card could be a joke or from some other silent watcher who blends in with the blur of lockers and doors. My locker. The card is still there. A white patch of hope with my name on it. I tear it off and open it. Something falls to my feet. The card has a picture of two cutesy teddy bears sharing a pot of honey. I open it. Thanks for understanding. You are the sweetest. It is signed with a purple pen. Good luck, Heather. I bend down to find what dropped from the card. It was the friendship necklace I had given Heather in a fit of insanity around Christmas. Stupid, stupid, stupid. How stupid could I be? I hear a cracking inside me. My ribs are collapsing in on my lungs, which is why I can't breathe. I stumble down the hall, down another hall, down another hall, till I find my very own door and slip inside and throw the lock, not even bothering to turn on the lights, just falling, falling a mile downhill to the bottom of my brown chair, where I can sink my teeth into the soft white skin of my wrist and cry like the baby I am. I rock thumping my head against the cinder block wall. A half-forgotten holiday has unveiled every knife that sticks inside me, every cut, no Rachel, no Heather, not even a silly, geeky boy who would like the inside girl I think I am. <laughs>